Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are a kind and gracious God, that you give uh, where the gift is not deserved. And Father, we ask that you'll help us uh, to understand uh, and to appreciate, to be grateful for your kindness, uh, not just as an abstract thing, but as something that is known by us, experienced by us, uh, as we know your Son. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, ain't love grand? A couple of ways of hearing that, aren't there? You know, just a, just a plain statement of the greatness of love, or perhaps you hear it like this, ain't love grand? A little bit sarcastic, perhaps, uh, you know, such high expectations and such small uh, realisations. And yet, even for the most sceptical among us, at least in theory, I think most of us know that there is something there. There is something beautiful uh, there. Behind uh, the lame hallmark sentiments and the furious passion promoted in popular media, there is something real and profoundly good that we put this name to, love, behind it all. It's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that includes romantic love and yet goes way beyond it. Uh, it's much bigger. In fact, it's, it's kind of like the all-encompassing virtue. Um, in Colossians, Paul lists off a whole bunch of virtues and then he says, and over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, we, without love, the other virtues aren't virtues at all. Love has to be over all and through all uh, if those things are to be truly good. In another passage, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul uh, kind of characterises love. He, he lists off a bunch of its features. You can't sort of... Um, love is not simply love, it is a composite of, of every other good thing. Listen to what he says from verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonour others, it's not self-seeking, it is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres, love never fails. And we hear a description like that and we go, wow. Could there be anything better, greater than love, or at least a love like that? And we hear about it and we, we admire it. We admire it in theory, and if we ever catch a glimpse of it in practice, whoa, aren't we surprised, aren't we impressed when we see love that comes even close or even touches on a love like that? But I reckon we don't just admire it if we see it or if we hear about it. We also aspire to it. Is there anyone, I hope there's not, I hope there's not anyone in the room who doesn't think, I would like, I would love to love like that. I would love to be that strong and committed and consistent in my love. And of course, as well as admiring and aspiring to it, we yearn for it. You know, even the hardened sceptic actually desires this love, desires to be loved in these ways, knows that we need 
to be loved in these ways. A, a, a fickle, superficial love isn't going to love us. We're not worthy of it. We need a love that, that will persevere, that will be patient, that will be kind. We yearn for a love like this. We, we grow up, perhaps, if we're blessed with a love that is something like this in our home from our parents, and yet we get less lovely as we grow up, <laughs> less lovable, perhaps. And, uh, and we yearn for this kind of love. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that this thing, which we can kind of characterise and describe in different ways, why, is it, why does it have such a hold on us? Well, I'm pretty sure that the reason is because we were made for love. Uh, we saw last week that we were made for relationship with God and each other and with the rest of the world. And of course, we want those relationships to be good and not bad. And what's going to make them good? Well, love is going to make them good, of course. Love in its appropriate expression It'll look like one thing in relation to God. It'll look like another thing in relation to each other. It'll look like another thing in relation to the world that God has given us to care for. We were made for this. When God said, let us make mankind in our image, that was the God who is love saying, let us make mankind like us. And so, of course, he made us to love and to be loved. When Father, Son and Spirit got together, they were making creatures who could and should and were designed to love just like the Father, Son and the Spirit do. And that's why we crave it. It's why we acknowledge it for what it is. And then there's real life. Then there's what we experience. Our experience of both being loved and loving others just doesn't match up, does it? We're always fall, it always falls short and sometimes by a long way. A few weeks ago we were in the Psalms and we were thinking about sin from various angles and we saw there that you know, we're always victims and always villains when it comes to sin and really I'm pretty sure that every sin is in some sense a failure to love. That's one way of characterising sin. It's just a, a falling short of what we're made to be. It's a failure of love. And I'm pretty sure that everyone here would be willing to acknowledge that, in, uh, that they have experienced both being a victim and a, and a villain when it comes to falling short of love. We've all experienced love gone wrong, perhaps you're experiencing it right now in your life. Fresh wounds, open wounds. As well as that, perhaps you, have, you bear scars from the failure of love of others. People who have neglected you, not treated you well, taken you for granted, perhaps even betrayed you in some way. People who have used you for their own ends. It can come in all sorts of different forms and it can come from all sorts of different people. It can come from our parents, it can come from our children, it can come from people who 
we have committed ourselves to and yet their commitment to us seems lacking. Perhaps a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It can come from a colleague. It can come from anywhere. Even, even random strangers. We can experience being victims of the failure to love. And sometimes we've been on the other side too. We've been the villains. Now we might think we're not as bad as others, more victim than villain, but what are we comparing ourselves to when we do that? Are we just comparing ourselves to others or to the ideal? Because I think when we do that, then we see the truth of it. That even at our best, our love is a pretty weak and pale thing, often disappointing, even to ourselves disappointing, let alone to others. And so at our best, we fall short of the mark. In fact, I suspect that most of us have no idea how far uh, short we fall because we've just kind of moved the target, you know? We've kind of gone, there's no way I can reach that. I'll just bring it all in a little bit closer. I'll limit its scope. I'll decide who I'm going to love and how I'm going to love them and maybe I can hit that target. But into that, Jesus throws out a massive challenge. Uh, We read it earlier in Luke uh, chapter 6. This is not the only time that uh, Jesus describes uh, what love ought to look like, but Luke 6, he says... To you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you. Sorry, who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And he goes on to describe some of the situations where we're to, instead of uh, retaliating, instead of uh, treating evil with evil, we treat evil with kindness. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. We struggle to love those who love us. And Jesus says, even if we achieve that, so what? (laughs) It's really not that grand. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you even Even sinners love those who love them. Jesus says the measure of our love isn't how we treat our friends. The true measure of love is how we treat our enemies. Those who we have reason not to love. Yikes. But of course, he's right, isn't he? Because when we love expecting love in return there's really nothing very special happening there. Sure, it's nice, but it's really just a transaction, a win-win. The real test of love is how we love in the trenches, how we love those who hurt us, how we, uh, those who we see as other to us, who our culture looks down on. Basically, those who we have for some reason decided don't deserve our love, and they don't. So why should we? And there, therein lies the problem. Did you catch it? We turn love into a matter of justice, a matter of earning or at least deserving. 
And that's the currency that we uh, deal in with when it comes to love. We're stingy with our love, only investing where there's a chance of getting a return. And when we feel someone is in debt to us, well, then we will make them pay before we're going to love them again. We've turned the heart of love from giving to getting. In fact, even charities, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, even charities tend to appeal to our selfish nature with testimonials like, it's the most rewarding thing you'll ever do. You see how twisted that is? It's not really love. It's self-love, if that's even a thing. So what's the solution then for, for a world that falls so far short of real love? How can we break the cycle and learn to really love again, to love each other better and perhaps even to make progress in loving our enemies? Is it possible I suspect that you might be sitting there thinking, I don't even want to. The answer to a world like that, to people like us, is to see the connection between what Jesus said and what Jesus did. He didn't just say what love should look like, he did it. Consider the Son of God hanging on his cross And watch his words from Luke 6 come to life. In Luke 6, Jesus said, Bless those who curse you. As Jesus hung on the cross, curses were hurled at him by the passers-by and even by the thieves hanging on either side. We know from one of the Gospels that it was from both sides, both thieves, that the insults came. But as the day went on, one of them went quiet. And then at the very end, one who had just been cursing Jesus to his face turned and said, will you remember me? And Jesus said, yes, I will. Today you will be with me in paradise. On the cross, uh, the Jesus who said, pray for those who mistreat you, prayed for those who were mistreating him in the extreme. Those who were crucifying him, taking his life, he prayed for them. He prayed for their forgiveness. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. The same Jesus who said, if someone takes your coat, don't withhold your tunic, hung naked on the cross as the soldiers played dice for his clothes. And Jesus, who said, give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back, who had nothing more to give once his clothes had been stripped off him, who only had his life to give, gave it and didn't demand it back. Rather, he offered it up. As John says in 1 John 4, he offered it up. It was his, it was his goal. It was his intention to offer it up as an atoning sacrifice for sins, as an atoning sacrifice for sinners. His body, his life given for the very people who were doing all these things to him. The one who said, love your enemies, did it. Did it. The crowds passing by, the thief at his side, the soldiers playing dice, you and I, that is you and I, see yourself there on that day 
his enemy. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we, each one of us, in our own special way, has made ourselves an enemy of Jesus. And that's why he went to the cross. Not because we deserved it, but because we were his enemies. God's love is infused with this unique quality, you see. This unique quality of a grace. That all the way through it, it is intended for those who don't deserve it. And that's what grace is. Martin Luther King, I think, reflecting on the grace of God in Jesus Christ, said that love is the only thing capable of turning an enemy into a friend. He's right, isn't he? And he was thinking of the cross when he said it, I'm sure, just as Paul was thinking of the cross when he wrote that description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love was kind. Love didn't envy, it didn't boast, it wasn't proud, it didn't dishonour others, it wasn't self-seeking. It wasn't easily angered and it kept no record of wrongs. Love did not delight in evil but rejoiced with the truth and it always protected, always trusted, always hoped and always persevered and love never failed. Right to the end, love never failed. God's love is not a list, it's not a theory, it's not abstract, it's a person. He is a person. God is love and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the demonstration of his unique love. In his life and his death for us, that is where we meet love. It is the fulfilment of our admiration and our yearning and even our aspiration is answered in knowing the love of God in Christ Jesus. Dear friends, you will never waste a moment dwelling on God's love for you, God's undeserved, gracious love for you, demonstrated in the gift of his Son. Because the more you do, the more you will not only love God, but you will also grow in your ability to love others in the same way that God has loved you. Let's pray that we would. Our Heavenly Father, we confess and father please help us to genuinely confess this confess it for what it is sin because it falls short so far short of what we were made for and what we're what we're called to we confess our lack of love sometimes expressed in careless thoughtless things that we do or say, sometimes expressed in the things that we don't do or say, the way that we neglect to care for others and, 
ourselves, we just get in the way. Father, as we confess that sin to you, please help us to see your, the gift of your son in, in light of our sin so that our esteem for him would grow, our worship of him would grow, our appreciation of his love would grow, that we wouldn't ever have a sense of the cross or of your love for us that is infected by the idea that there's something in us that deserves it. But rather, please uh, dig that weed out so that we might see the purity of your gracious love for us in Jesus Christ and that that might be a transforming grace in us. That when we are tempted to to not love, that when others do wrong us or to our mind don't deserve our love, we would pause and remember and know the grace that you have shown us and reflect on the fact that the person uh, that we are called to love is, is uh, though they may not be deserving, we have all that we need to love them as we have been loved, to love them in gracious ways. And Father, we pray that you would transform us and therefore transform our relationships, that others might know your love and therefore love like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.